Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. I don't know what's harder to look at. The picture of the Pavel Datsuk Kachina jersey that uh, our good friend Coyote season tickets in Tempe, our, our Patreon supporter, made up actually it's it's like a full-on adidas like authentic jersey or the conditions behind the conditional pick that calgary sent to montreal to take on sean monahan's contract both of them hurt my brain and my eyes and i think i just had to put my phone away after seeing either one everybody involved in both situations needs to go to jail and i'll leave it at that what's that meme where it's like bro i'm not reading that i'm Good for you or sorry about your luck. <laughs> Pretty that, much. That's basically how I felt when I saw that book for the for the conditions of that trade. I saw it was like, to the point where cap friendly, who are like the de facto leaders in this space. If you're unless you're, you know, someone on a general manager's uh, staff who is like your capologist and even more so than a lot of them, they are the leaders across the NHL in this space and de- deciphering trades and conditions and laying it all out for you. And it took them like <laughs> hours, if not a day or so to to kind of put it all out there in a way that's digestible and where people can understand. Maybe we should do a Patreon exclusive. It'll be like 14 minutes, 14 minutes, like 14 hours long, just breaking down all the possibilities of that trade. Anytime news breaks or something happens in the hockey world i try to be a responsible podcaster and get all the information fully digest it understand it try to look at both sides of the situation so that you know even if i disagree with something i at least understand where it's coming from i saw that beautiful blurb that cap friendly works so diligently on the conditions and i went and it's like here are the conditions for that first round pick i said nope and kept scrolling twitter (laughs) Yeah. I trust you. <laughs> I trust you, bro, is essentially the answer. Yeah, what I've what right. I've uh come from reading other people in the timeline is it's a late first round pick. I'm just leaving it at it's a late first round pick. I don't care how they're getting there, when it happens, it's a late first. <laughs> the lawyers made their money that day. Welcome, folks, to another episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast. Uh, another remote one. That pesky little virus has uh, popped up in my house again. I'm fine. Uh Mel is Actually, we're, we're doing a lot better than last time. Last time, for those of you who have listened for a while, it kicked our butts, but just a little tired, small cold, but still taking all precautions so Evan doesn't have to miss his uh, miss his show later this week and, and Brad's kids keep trucking along. So remote episode this time, bear with us. Here to talk all things hockey, the NHL, the Detroit Red Wings, and international hockey with the World Juniors, I am one of your hosts, Ryan Hanna. I'm Brad Crisco. And I'm Evan. Ryan, I just wanted on record that virus came for you because it listened to the Patreon exclusive episode, heard what your hockey style was back in the day, and just went, him. (laughs) He's the softest one, infect him. I stand by the orange and white Nike Apollo stick, man. That is That was your only good take. You were absolutely right. The Nike Apollo was a fantastic stick for as bad as it was. It was great. But everything else you were describing to us, (laughs) <laughs> was just awful 
Well, for those of you who want to know what Brad's talking about, uh, during the <laughs> off season, we do our we go down to one episode a week on Sundays usually, but we still release a midweek Patreon exclusive episode. And the last one was uh, Brad does a gear nerd series, and Evan and I joined him this time, and we had a lot of fun conversation about hockey equipment. So if you're a patron, that's available to you. So subscribe for that. The the uh, the equipment talk was fun and great, and obviously I loved it. But then we started talking about hockey style, and you started. It was truly something to hear. I'll leave it at that. I am a tongue of the skate outside of shin pads person for the rest of my life. And I will, I'll die on that hill. It's not even that you're basically wearing booty shorts over your hockey equipment with the way (laughs) I don't like it to restrict my knees. Anyhow, on this episode of the winged wheel podcast, uh, we'll be having a conversation about, no, we're going to be taking a look at the Iser plan and, and giving it a review and giving it an honest assessment of where we are now. And the context here is a, a survey that was put out by The Athletic based on NHL front office confidence rankings. And that's from uh, Dom Nutrition. So we'll be talking about the results from that and whether or not the public and Red Wings fans are aligned with reality. And uh, what we think, we'll be taking a look at how the Red Wings prospects did in the World Juniors that just wrapped up yesterday in remarkable fashion one of the most entertaining hockey games period i have ever seen in my life period uh we'll be talking about the world juniors overall how different countries fared you know great prospects for the red wings on uh team usa but they bounced out a little early and then of course uh, as we alluded to earlier the moves calgary made they moved out sean monahan to bring in nazem kadri so it wasn't in lou's desk or at least it never got moved out of Lou's desk after all, and, and we'll be talking about the fallout from that. So, you know, for an off-season episode, quite a bit here to chat about. Uh, of course, I do want to mention that uh, the Winged Wheel podcast is a very, very proud supporter of the Jamie Daniels Foundation, and one way we support them is through Winged Wheel Podcast Nights at the LCA. The next one has been announced for October 29th, 2022. That's a game on Saturday uh, against Minnesota. So what it is, is we've partnered with the Detroit Red Wings. This is our third time running this event. There is a uh, pre-game a uh, live podcast featuring Ken Daniels and Mickey Redmond, and unfortunately also all three of us hosts of the Winged Wheel podcast. There will be a meet and greet, uh, giveaways, merch, uh, everything like that. Food and drinks will be available for you. We all sit in Winged Wheel podcast sections of the arena. It's very cool to see them like extremely full in there. And then uh, after the game, there's going to be a, uh, a meetup, details to be determined. And Evan, I didn't forget this time, the tickets have a special winged wheel podcast discount and a portion of the proceeds from every ticket sold is going to go to the Jamie Daniels foundation. So wait for those tickets to become available. Stay tuned, follow us on Twitter at winged wheel pod to find out more about when those are going to come out. All right. Red Wings fans still extremely, extremely confident in the Iser plan. Like I mentioned, the athletic uh, ran an NHL front office confidence ranking. Uh, they do a survey or a poll every year. That's from Dom Lutician. And the top three teams based on overall grades, we'll call it top four because a team is tied with Detroit. So we have Colorado and Tampa Bay first, both with an A+. That makes a ton of sense. You don't need to look much further than last playoffs to understand why. And then the next two teams in third and fourth respectively are the Detroit Red Wings and Carolina Hurricanes who both landed a an A grade. Now, Colorado, Tampa Bay, Detroit, Carolina. One of those is not like the other. 
and it spurred a little bit of conversation online in the hockey sphere in the Red Wings world as to why Detroit is up there with those, you know, powerhouses and de facto Stanley Cup champions or at least Stanley Cup contenders. So overall impressions, I think, before we get into the details of it, of how high Detroit came in on this ranking and whether it's warranted. It's tough to say if it's warranted because it's so so subjective. And I think when you got into the nitty gritty of the Twitter discourse, the people who are arguing against it really weren't arguing what the article was actually explaining because this wasn't a results survey. If there was a results survey, yeah, the Red Wings would be, where did they finish last year? 25th, 24th? That's where they would be. It's a fan confidence survey. Steve Eisenman hasn't given us any reason to not be confident in the path because if you're from an outside perspective, it's easy to look at the Red Wings and go, yeah, they've missed the playoffs for like a billion years in a row right now. Why would anybody be confident in that? Well, Eiserman has only been at the helm for three years. He inherited one hell of a mess that Ken Holland left him. So what I break the survey down to is, did he do the right thing survey? And in the three years Steve has been at the helm, he has done largely what every fan and everybody with any reason in the hockey world would have done. He's been patient. He's made shrewd trades. He's drafted very well. I I mean, and when the team looked like they were at a point where they could maybe finally start to turn the corner, he went balls to the wall in free agency. Like it's not a result survey. It's a confidence survey. And Steve Eisman came in, with a sterling reputation from what he did with Tampa Bay and has not done nothing outside of maybe drafting one or two if he picks and maybe the Sherrock contract wasn't great. He has not given us a reason to be not confident in his path to getting the Red Wings back to being a contender. Yeah, I, I thought that was really funny how people... <sighs> People were really upset because they're like, the Red Wings haven't done anything. And and it's just such a funny conversation to have year over year. What have Red Wings fans who have looked forward even, you know, a month at a time going back to the Ken Holland era? What were they screaming back then? What were we yelling about? What did we get chastised about when we first started this podcast because we were being too negative? It's that this team was going to be in a bad place because there was no prospects in the pipeline. They had terrible anchor contracts. They were screwed at the cap. Basically, the Red Wings were going to have their hands tied for quite some time. And that's what the Red Wings did have. Now, I have to give Ken Holland credit where credit is due. He did, far too late, but he did start to do some things to start to undo that. But it's not as if he was turning back time. It's untying this unholy knot where you don't even want to look at it. And it's going to take years and years and years. Holland lost his job pretty early in that process, so Eisenman still had a pretty deep hole to dig himself out of. So, yeah, I have to agree with you, Brad. Like Expecting Steve Eisenman to have made these Red Wings into anything substantial in the win column by now, considering the constraints of the cap, the draft, developing players, etc., and knowing where the Red Wings were after the Ken Holland era, that's an argument that's not in good faith. I'm sorry. Like... I understand, yes, results do have to come eventually, and we'll get there. I I actually agree with that sentiment. But to this point, to say, yeah, you know, the Red Wings, Eisman should have the Red Wings in the playoffs, and and what do they have to show for it? 
I'm sorry, but you can't look at where the Red Wings were and say, yeah, by now the Red Wings should be competing for cups or anything like that. It's not a good faith argument. And is it the same kind of success that Joe Sackick has had, that Julian Brisebois has had, that Don Waddell has had? No, of course not. But it's a different kind of success. It's a different flavor. It, it's it's all Eisman could do. Not perfect. There have been bumps in the road, like you mentioned, Brad, and I think Steve Eisman would be the first one to say the Eiser plan hasn't been perfect, but it's been a lot of the right moves to instill this kind of confidence in my mind. Yeah, and I think part of the reaction too is um, the Red Wings are a very large fan base. And when you have a large fan base, a certain percentage of that fan base tends to be very vocal and uh, not always in the most... uh, friendly of terms to other fan bases so there has been this this era of um you know anytime anybody criticizes anything detroit does this vocal minority just starts screaming you're an idiot trust the eyes are planned yada yada the eyes are planned is infallible and so naturally there's pushback that comes to that it is what it is it happens in every fan base and it's hilarious watching the back and forth when it happens um but yeah it's you know, it's what you want to do. Cause what would have happened last summer if Steve Eisman signed even a couple long contracts, even if they were for good players, would the Red Wings be in a better spot right now? No, nah. it'd be largely they, the same team. They'd be largely the same team with a prospect worse than Marco Casper. Um, probably a much rougher outlook on the old salary cap. And again, no further along it's, what Ken Holland was doing, which was signing mediocre free agents to try and salvage something that wasn't there. And Eiserman didn't take that approach. That's why we're confident in him because everybody, like I said earlier, any idiot with a brain could have went and looked at this team over the last two years and said, Stevie, not now. Now is not the time. We need more picks. And he did it. And it's worked very well. And then you couple that with some pretty savvy drafting and and some, you know, very, very... um at the time, I'll call him strong under the radar moves. You know, you can look at getting Nedeljkovic for nothing, Huso for a third round pick, Fabry for um, he who shall not be named in case Kara is listening. These are all reasons that just bump up the confidence level. So, yeah, it uh, it's exactly what I would have expected. Like, yeah, maybe an A is a touch on the high side because you haven't done anything yet. But again, what's outside of the Sherat contract and maybe a couple questionable draft picks, what is there to really question about what he's done so far? I want to first talk about the actual detailed results of the survey because it's split into a fan base. So Red Wings fans portion and a public portion. So everyone else in the league roster building, the fan base gave him an A minus for the entire like Eisman and, and his group, the whole front office and the public gave him a B plus. That's virtually the same cap management, both a minus for both public and Red Wings fans. Drafting and development, A from Red Wings fans, A plus from the public. So Red Wings fans are ostensibly harder on this on this Red Wings team. They're looking at the Costa pick nervously. They're looking at some of the se- second round picks where they pass over guys like Stankoven, which is you know very loud in people's faces right now for other players. Uh, trading, A from Red Wings fans, A minus from the public. Free agency, A minus from uh, the Wings, B plus from the public. Vision. A minus from Red Wings fans, A from the public. So overall, it averages out to uh, uh, the fan base gives him the second highest 
confidence in the league and the public gives him fourth highest. It's even across the board, even outside of the Red Wings fan base, the confidence is there. Now, let's talk about, you know, we talked about those bumps bumps in the roads and what might have what might go wrong or what might affect this legacy or what the results would be down the line. The Ben Chirot contract is right there. That's one that we've talked about ad nauseum. The simple solution there is Eisman gave term to a guy who he sees as solidifying the blue line. Um, but analytics and some folks who watch his game it really doesn't speak friendly to how he plays right now and how he might age in that contract. And I think that's fair criticism. Like that's going to be one that people are going to have their eyes on. And like it or not, the Cosa pick right now, a lot is hinging on that Cosa pick. Using assets to trade up further into the first round with that pick and then drafting a goalie, he has to land. That is part of the result. For the Red Wings to be good in the future, and for this rebuild to go well, Kosa has to land as a player. Yeah, when you go into a full-scale rebuild, I think drafting and cap management are the two things of utmost importance. Now, Chirac contract aside, he is still overall masterfully handled the Red Wings cap situation. Even with that contract, there is still absolutely zero concerns about the Red Wings cap situation in the near future. Or in the distant future, it's it's phenomenal right now, and they have all the flexibility in the world. But that's the secondary. It, you rebuild to get draft picks and prospects. If you miss on a lot of draft picks, it was all for naught. Look at the Sabres and the Oilers for a long time there. They, the main reason they never got better is a lot of their picks, important picks, did not pan out. Now, Eiserman's first two first-round picks was Sider and Raymond. Great start. Edmondson looks like he's going to be a player. Kosa again, but we huge question mark, but we said that going into that draft about goaltending. We say that about every draft going in, going into every draft about goaltending is it's always a huge question mark. Yeah, he's made some less than I'll call it ideal picks outside of the first round relative to what the consensus thought or relative to even what we thought. Um, but outside of the first round, such a crapshoot. I don't think anybody really holds that against any GM too much as long as you get one or two every few years. And it looks like he's on pace to do that. So, yeah, I mean, the important things in a rebuild, like I to sum it up simply, so far, so good. Yeah, and like when you look at the Red Wings before and now, like they have a tangible thing thing that they can see that excites them and obviously that would give the fans confidence in their front office right like Moritz Sider wins a Calder Lucas Raymond looks like the real deal like outside of winning the cup or being in the finals like that's a very tangible thing that a lot of the other middling teams may not have the confidence about you know talking about things where it might maybe isn't as was seen as ideal by the fans of the public. Brad, you mentioned uh, in that whole list, you know, drafting a lot of the second, third, fourth round picks. People, we've learned very quickly what it's like to actually mock up a draft and how the draft goes when there are 32 teams involved. So it's not that the Red Wings didn't select, you know, our favorite prospect or anything like that, but much like many other teams on the board, they don't always take the most ideal second round pick. They don't always take the most ideal third round pick. The thing is, I think what has happened is Steve Eisman and his whole front office have bought themselves a mile of leeway 
with two essentially grand slam picks in Moritz Sider and Lucas Raymond. You called them like fantastic, or I, I can't remember the word you used, Brad. That's probably understating it by orders of magnitude. Like to get a Calder winner at sixth overall when that was seen as like a heinous overreach by some people, but at the very least, and I know we thought like, you know, we really wanted Trevor Zegras. Um, to land that kind of player in the face of all other uh, judgment and opinion saying that's not what, what you would get out of him, that's a grand slam. To get a Calder caliber player in, in most other draft classes in Lucas Raymond at fourth overall in his draft class, I'm sorry, but that's 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 close to a grand slam too. So if Simon Edvinson and Marco Casper turn out to be just really great, you know, to stick to baseball terms, they hit a triple there and they don't hit on as many second or third round picks as maybe they really should on average. And they pass by the Stankovins and whoever else um, in more recent draft years, that leeway is there. So it's not perfect. You don't want to say, oh, okay, they did one thing really well. So now they can suck in all these other ways. No, you want the, the team to draft well in the first round and the second and third and fourth round. But it, there's there's quite a bit here that the Red Wings can can lean on moving forward and know that they're they're still advantageous. Like Evan, like Evan said, there's something for them to look forward to, and there's a true foundation. The move, though, this offseason to really add in free agency. It's not a mystery as to why Steve Eisenman did it. He wanted to solidify his core. He wanted to support Moritz Sider's development in adding, you know, Mata and Sherratt, and that's for Heronic as well. He wanted to make sure there wasn't only one line of forwards to to produce on the Red Wings. But that does move the Red Wings, or it should, out of draft lottery range, barring something absolutely insane happening, which isn't impossible. And they're probably still not good enough to be a bona fide playoff contender, even in a wild card spot. Like a lot would have to go their way for them to land in a wild card spot. I think this moves Steve Eiserman and the rebuild and the Eiser plan, you know, so to speak, into results have to come soon territory. You don't make that kind of splash in free agency and uh, expect to regress. Now, again, we've talked about progression looking like a lot of different things this year. Um, but it has to be there. Like it has to beyond a shadow of a doubt. Um, again, if that's, you don't move up in the standings, but you get a bunch more points. You're not getting blown out anymore. You know, the team very obviously looks improved, but so did a bunch of other teams around you. Okay. That's probably the worst case acceptable scenario for this year, but yeah, you expect them to at least be playing meaningful games, late February, early March this year, which they haven't done in a really long time. You expect them to knock it smacked 11-1-9-1 by Arizona. <laughs> like, it, this is, next summer, this could look, a survey could look a lot different if things go off the rails this year. Because Eisenman's now got a core on this team that's largely his. A lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot, a few of his draft picks are now going to be regulars on this team. It's his coach, which is a huge thing this year as well, because he inherited Blast Shillings and he, and he gave him an honest run. He didn't jump to conclusions. He's like, let's see what we got before I, you know, just bring in my guy. And now he has his guy. There's not a lot of wiggle room. All the dead contracts he inherited, you know, Franz Nielsen, Justin Applicator, Darren Helm, Danny DeKaiser. 
gone. This is his team. This is probably the first year we can truly say this is a Steve Eisman built team. And it is a season in which there is loads of room for improvement. So there damn well better be some improvement. Yeah, the measure can't be this team has to make the playoffs. But if we if the the Red Wings did all that, used all that cap, signed those contracts, and are in just the same boat getting blown out, embarrassed, whatever, then yeah, that's that's gonna move the needle backwards for a lot of people. We don't anticipate that happening. You know, you don't bring in Andrew Cobb, David Perron, um, Olimata, and Ben Sherratt and get worse if you were last year's Red Wings. So it shouldn't go that way. And yeah, I think you're right, Brad, especially with with the coach, Derek Lalone. Yeah, he is the coach, so he's the one having an impact on the roster and not necessarily Steve Eisman night in and night out, but that is Eisman's coach. He went out and brought a guy that he knew from the Tampa Bay system. He didn't want to fire Jeff Blashill. We know that. He held on for as long as he could, and I think he would have preferred to have not done it this summer, but Derek Lalonde is his guy. So that's all... I don't want to say it's a stretch to find, you know, constructive criticism or, or pointing out the things that haven't been happy-go-lucky Moritz Sider Grand Slam so far, but it's pretty sparing. Like, what else are you going to point to? The Alec Regula trade? Initially, the Nick Letty trade, but then look how he turned that back around. Overpaying on contracts where you can see the justification behind it, most trades being at least very good. Like, it is not a wonder why people are still very excited about it. Can Eisman do wrong? Yes. Has he done wrong? Yeah. Look at his time in Tampa Bay. It wouldn't take you much, uh, very long to find picks or trades that or signings that weren't ideal. But, and I'm going to sound like a broken record. No rebuild is perfect. Absolutely no rebuild is perfect. There will be bumps in the road. It's not a straight line up. So I think the, the fan survey, I really like this exercise. You should go read. I'll link the article in the description. Um, you should go read it. It's really cool to see, and I, I think this this fan survey and this public opinion survey is a good and accurate representation of where the Eiser plan is right now. I don't think it's overblown. I think it's it's pretty fair. A bit generous to Eisenman, sure, but I don't think it's overblown at all. Before we move on here, I want to take a minute to let everyone know that this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is proudly brought to you by a new sponsor, NordVPN. Are you missing out on a game or your favorite show because it's not available in your region? Let me introduce you to NordVPN. Using NordVPN in a click of a button, you can watch and browse as if you're elsewhere in the world, making sure you never miss a game and can watch whatever content you'd like. No need to travel across the continent or oceans for your favorite team when NordVPN brings them right to you. With over 5,000 server options, no game or show is out of your reach. Using this link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel, you can receive a huge discount on NordVPN's cybersecurity two-year plan plus four free months. We, of course, all love to binge, but privacy is a big deal too. NordVPN keeps your info encrypted so you never have to worry about your IP or location getting out. They've also doubled down on keeping you safe with their new threat protection feature. Say goodbye to intrusive website ads and malware. Even if you download an an infected file, threat protection kicks in and deletes it before it makes a mess of your computer. Don't forget, there's literally no risk to you with their 30-day money-back guarantee. Give it a try, and if you like it, great. If you don't, they'll issue a refund and you can pretend the entire thing never happened. Check out our special link, nordvpn.com slash wingedwheel to get your subscription started today. All right. 
Why don't we have a chat about the Red Wings prospects who are at the World Juniors uh, and abroad because Liam Dower Nielsen uh, could not stop scoring in his preseason. Uh, but let's start talking about the uh, the Red Wings prospects and the now wrapped up World Juniors. And uh, why don't we start with the Swedes because I think this is going to be one of the most interesting conversations um, as much as you can draw from this tournament. You did this to me on purpose. I did. Yeah, I did do this too. I've got so much. I've got so many reasons to be optimistic and so many reasons to be happy outside of uh, based on what Red Wings prospects did in this tournament. Team Sweden isn't one of them. (laughs) Um, Obviously, just a weird team. Like all tournaments, so weird. They underperformed entirely. Like the Wallstedt was about the only Swede who showed up and played well regularly. not that they played poorly, but like, you know, played to their potential for most of the tournament. Um, I'll start with the one that's on everybody's mind, Simon Edmondson, obviously. Um, now, the best thing I can say about Simon Edmondson to start here is he has legitimate excuses because he did not have a good tournament. I, I would say plainly he was bad for a lot of the tournament, but he did suffer an in- a shoulder injury right before the tournament and he did suffer food poisoning during the tournament. So there's not a lot of people on the planet who will play to their best when dealing with that. So it's very understandable that Simon Edmondson did not have a great tournament, but the fact remains he did not have a great tournament. Um, He was very turnover prone, which was a problem of his going into his draft that he seemed to have worked out last year. So it was a bit concerning to see that creep back into his game. He was not playing with any pace, which again was a concern going into his draft year that he had seemed to work out last year. Um, So those two problems creeping back up are admittedly concerning to me. Again, it's an August tournament playing with sick and injured. So I'm still going to bet that it all chalks up to that. But again, you were hoping for a huge tournament for Edmondson. I saw a lot of predictions from people before the tournament. He was the favorite to win defenseman of the tournament. He might even win MVP. He should dominate this tournament. It just, it didn't happen for whatever reason. It just, well, I remember when I got, when I got food poisoning, I had exits out of both ends for like four days. So the fact that he even attempted to play in competitive hockey is astounding. So, I caught a lot of Simon Evanson and he did look very shaky at best. Um, I don't, I don't think it's like a massive cause cause for concern. Apparently Twitter was a war zone. So I've been told. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you get reports on what happens on Twitter. You don't actually go in yourself. It's summer. You're not touching it. Yeah. My uh, correspondents on, on the ground were telling me that it's a battle. So I stayed well away from that. But um, I, I think everybody just needs to take a step back off the ledge and like, just it's it's a one turn one one time tournament wasn't what you thought Edmondson would be I I think everything will be okay yeah I I can't get over the fact that it was just kind of a perfect confluence of terrible terrible things for Edmondson like a I don't want to say mismanaged or miscoached but that whole Swedish team looked off so the default there is how are they being coached what's the game plan was the supporting cast also going through their stuff? Anyhow, Sweden was off overall. Simon Edvinson was one of, if not the most important player on Sweden coming in. Uh, you guys have both outlined. He didn't have a great tournament. The food poisoning, 
and the shoulder injury, like those three things, it's unsurprising, but yeah, disappointing. So I agree with you, Evan. I don't think it's cause for concern. I think we saw enough from Simon Edvinson leading up to this and even small moments in the tournament where you're like, yeah, those are the skills and aspects to his game that make him effective and that make him a promising prospect. Did it come in and say, oh, this guy is is going to absolutely make the Red Wings roster and, and this moves the needle into, you know, get out of the way, whatever number third pairing left-handed uh, guy that was going to be in his way, Jordan Osterley? No, he's still going to have to earn that in camp. There's nothing really that went in his direction uh, for this. So quite honest assessment of, of Edmondson. Was it good? No. Who would be the first to tell you that? Edmondson. He was the one saying it. You know, having to miss a game but still play the amount of minutes that he did, sick, injured, and off his game, like, disappointing, but uh, I'm not sounding the alarms yet. You'll forget it pretty quickly if and when Simon Edvinson does really well, either at camp or, you know, in Detroit or Grand Rapids. So, not what you wanted to see, but just the natural course of a prospect's progression. Not everyone's going to be Moritz Sider dominating every single ice pad that they're playing on. Dominating. Well, let's talk about William Wallander because he also did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, where's that going? Uh, no, Wallander was, um, you know, with a capital F, fine. Um, I didn't notice him a lot, honestly, um, other than the times I was actually looking for him. So take the good with the bad with that means he wasn't as dynamic offensively as he can be and has been in the past. But he also wasn't a liability defensively like he has been in the past. So, you know, Wallander had a really quiet tournament, so I'll take that as a, a neutral. Uh, yep, he did better than expected in one zone, little less than expected in the other zone. Call it a wash. Niederbach was probably the most noticeable Swede of the Red Wings prospects in positive ways. But he still didn't do a whole hell of a lot other than get thrown out of a game. All the concerns and all the strengths with Niederbach were really on display this tournament. You can tell he's just gets it out there. He's smart. He sees the ice well. He knows where to go. Um, very cerebral player. And, and you could tell that because he was on Sweden's first power play unit. He was playing a prominent role. He was um, their shutdown center against Finland's top line in the semifinal game. And hey... Sweden only lost one nothing, so they did not give up much. Uh, I think he shut that top line down completely, actually, um, which was good. But man, he's still he just he's slow. <laughs> he doesn't play fast. He can't skate fast. At this level, he can get away and and excel at what he does with what he's good at. But I still have a really hard see- time seeing that translate up levels as it is right now without. Um, Something improving beyond what we think it will. It's, that's funny because I actually, not that you said anything, Brad, that is necessarily disagreeable there, but I, I was, I think, a lot higher on Niederbach. I think it's, I think he was just buried for me in the whole Swedish mess that was this tournament. But I, I thought he played a much more improved, complete game. Like you said, he's smart. He thinks the game so well. His hockey IQ is on display and. I think he's translated that into bigger roles and more actual production and um, overall effectiveness all over the ice. Um, I understand the pace thing. I'm still 
I, I don't know if I can, I'm, I'm going to say I have a hard time seeing him at the NHL level. I've seen players have terrible pace of play or terrible skating, or, or they're not necessarily quick, but if they're smart enough, they can usually think their way out of that, where it's just that they play a different style of game. So I don't know. Niederbach was a, uh, a, a silver lining for me with Team Sweden. Getting on to another disappointing storyline, and not in the same way, Carter Mazur and Red Savage with United States, they both had great tournaments. Carter Mazur was on display and has been on fire since the moment he was drafted. It's just a shame that they got bounced in the quarters. Yep. Latvia beats Czechia. Czechia beats the States. Therefore, the States are worse than Latvia. Anyways. <laughs> that's that's how the transitive property works. Yeah, that's exactly how that works. No, um, seriously, though. Yeah, Mazur was... Arguably the state's best player this tournament. Uh, He led the team in goals. He was named one of their three best players when their tournament ended. He did exactly what he's good at, which is get to the net, find the puck. When you get there, put it in the net. He he plays an extraordinarily simple game, but he is so effective at it. And when you put him with super skilled players, like I can't remember his line. He was playing with Bordalo and I forget who was on the other side with him. But you put him with skilled players, much like Tyler Bertuzzi on, on Larkin's line. He knows where to go. He can do the dirty things. And when it's time to be in the right place to, you know, finish a play, score a goal, whatever, he's there. He gets it. He's a very, very smart hockey player. He's got that sandpaper to him and he's got just enough skill to be able to keep up with the big boys. So he had a phenomenal tournament. Of all the Red Wings prospects in this tournament, he had the best tournament Full stop, end of statement. Nobody else was in his category. Um, and then Red Savage, who again, I, I don't think many people expected him to make this team. And he did, and he chipped in a bit of offense, and he looked strong in his role, and he was noticeable for a lot of good reasons. Had a great tournament. So yeah, despite the Americans as a whole falling way short of where they should have, I mean, two of the bright spots on that team were, were the Red Wings. So, you know take the victories where you can get them, I guess. Uh, and then I think, I don't know if he's necessarily flying under the radar anymore, but Emil Vero in Finland, this was just another display of Red Wings fans should be taking him more seriously as a potential future Red Wing than they have in the past, right? Like he looked good. I think he has a good shot at this team. Yeah. He's not flashy, but he's effective. Uh, he's smart. Again, it's it's hard to notice him because he's not, an elite skater doesn't have elite hands doesn't have an elite shot isn't like that mean physical defender that you notice he's just effective and it's it's hard to describe how or why he's effective without actually having the game tape in front of you breaking down plays but yeah it's what he is um is he gonna need to improve on some things to get to the NHL of course they all do um you know because when you're not above average at a few things at this age group it's it's hard to get to the nhl no matter how smart and effective you are because again the players just get bigger faster stronger smarter um but yeah he's he's definitely should still be on everybody's radar not that he'll ever be a top four defenseman in detroit he doesn't have that potential at least not now unless something dramatic changes but yeah he's he's good like i He's so boring to describe because it's like, yeah, he's good and effective. <laughs> That's it. And then uh, over to the winning Team Canada. I don't think there's much to be said about Jan Bednash and Czechia, really. Um, but over to the winning 
Team Canada in Sebastian Cosa and Donovan Sabrango. Well, Sebastian Cosa came up clutch in the gold medal game, didn't allow a single goal. <laughs> I knew that was coming. <laughs> great, great performance. Hey, he won his only game against Latvia, who turned out to not be pushovers in this tournament. So maybe it was a more significant win than we gave him credit for. But yeah, well, there's nothing to say about Sebastian Cosa. He was the backup goalie. Um, Donovan Sabrango, though, um, I know I've been kind of beating the drum for this guy since the moment he was drafted. And uh, this tournament was kind of my, do you see what I'm seeing now? Like, I know a lot of people who watch Grand Rapids seen it and get it, but he's good. Um, He's like Vero, not flashy in any way. But unlike Vero, there's two ways I do find Sabrango stands out. One, in his physical game. Uh, he he does play a very physical game effectively. He uses his body well, despite only being, I think he's like six even, six one, something like that. Um, and again, like Vero, super smart defensively. I mean, he was an assistant captain and led Team Canada in ice time in most of their games in this tournament. Like, if you just want to know what Team Canada thinks of him, he was one of their most important players and they won the gold medal. Um, and unlike Vero, the one trait I would say where I, I rank Sabrango at least above average relative to his peers uh, in this demographic is his passing. He is a phenomenal passer, especially uh, exiting the zone. He's very patient with it. He, like a quarterback, scans what's happening ahead of him really quickly and really effectively. And he's able to, A, if the play is there, whether it's simple or difficult, make it. And more often than not, whatever the best play is there, he will make it. But what a lot of defensemen at this age lack, and I'll chalk this up to him having two years in the AHL, is when there's nothing there, not running himself into trouble. Because that was one of Edvinson's problems this tournament, is when he had the puck, wherever it was on the ice, O-zone, D-zone, He'd scan the ice, see nothing, and then try to force something rather than regrouping it or holding it or whatever. And that led to a lot of giveaways. Sobrango didn't do that. He would, when he had something, he made the play. When he didn't, he would regroup, reset, just simple DDD pass, whatever, until something opened up and very rarely ran himself into trouble. Did he have a perfect tournament? No, of course not. But he was, again, for... Most of the Red Wings prospects in this tournament largely disappointing in some degree. Sabrango was not one of them. He was he was one of their standouts for sure. One thing I sort of noticed while I was watching is Sabrango really allows his D partner to activate and do their thing. Like Olin Zellweger was unbelievable, and I I think a part of that is only because he had Sabrango as his D partner to sort of keep everything solidified and he can go play rover and to have 11 points and be plus 14 like i think that's a huge piece that will be important in the red wings in the future so yeah i thought he had a a, a pretty strong tournament and what you talked about with sabrango you know having good decision making brad and, and that coming probably from the ahl that also really bodes well for in my mind, players like Edvinson, and not that it's a novel concept, but you know, you made the comparison where Edvin- Edvinson would try to force something. I think a lot of that was, you know, Sweden seemed out of sorts and probably a lot was being forced through him when he wasn't at 100% playing 21 or 22 plus minutes a night when he did play. But regardless, the turnovers, if and when they happened or the bad decision making was still on him. And 
those pro reps, whether it be the AHL or the NHL, that is something that is coachable out of a game. Getting a guy to calm down, trust his abilities, and understand that you are not going to set up, you know, a highlight real play every single time you're on the ice. You just have to make the right decision. And often it looks boring and it seems boring. I know that's not necessarily Edvinson style, but it's good. Sometimes boring is good. I mean, Mo Sider is going to need his boring D partner for the next 20 years. Not that it's going to be Sobrango, but yeah, there is a place. Ben Schrott just got a ton of money for being that guy. Quite literally. That's why they paid him. Um, and yeah, it's hell. You know who might be a good uh, compliment to Donovan Sobrango in a few years? Edvinson. So... <laughs> It's you, you need every type and, you know, Sabrango knows his role and sure he's got things to work on. He didn't have a perfect tournament. He definitely could stand to get a little quicker, a little stronger, but yeah, it, it was, it was for the role he was tasked with on team Canada. It's hard to pick apart. I mean, when that gold medal went to gold medal game, went to overtime and um, Bedard and McTavish jumped over the boards in the three on three who jumped over with them. It was Sabrango. So even in the biggest moment, he was still the one of the go-to guys, him and Zellweger. Well, that's the Red Wings at the World Juniors. Um, I think there's a lot of really good discussion to come, especially on players like Edvinson and Kosa. Edvinson, obviously, the big question mark is, is he going to make the team this year? How is he going to recover in time for training camp, etc.? Um, players are allowed to have bad stretches of a couple weeks, especially playing August hockey. August hockey is so ridiculous. Like just watching that, I was like, it just feels so weird. I know we've talked about that a lot. Um, and then on COSA, it's going to be a continued discussion of, you know, where does he play next? And how's the the justification of drafting him where they did in the middle of the first round going to pan out? Because he has some pretty important years ahead of him. I know a lot of people had a hard time watching Jesper Wallstedt do as well as he did for Team Sweden. And, uh, you know, Kosa was the backup goalie for Canada. So it by no means does that decide anything or can you draw any meaningful conclusions? I can think of a billion, you know, phenomenal world junior performers who had no NHL career to speak of after. But um, it, it's those are going to be kind of where people are dialing in and focusing. So thank goodness for the Carter Mazers and the, uh, the Donovan Sabrangos to draw the positivity out of this. Let's talk about that gold medal game and how the tournament ended up. So obviously, you know, the States got bounced by Czechia uh, and then the semifinals or in the finals that ended up being Canada against Finland and then Sweden against Czechia for the bronze medal game. Sweden took home bronze, but that gold medal game with between Canada and Finland and that sequence in overtime is one of the most insane things I've ever seen in the sport of hockey. Mason McTavish, doesn't matter that the play was there because of him. That is one of the most legendary plays I have ever seen in my entire life. He could never have any success in the NHL, and he will still never probably have to pay for a drink in Canada for the rest of his life just because of that goal line save. Amazing. That, that was the craziest minute of hockey history, in hockey history. Like, I watching that live, I was positive positive that puck was in the net and I was just waiting for the horn to blow the play dead just because like it was on his backhand it wasn't slow I know it was a redirection that puck was not fluttering to the net that had some mustard behind it from the Finnish player's momentum taking him to the net and he picks it out of the backhand it drops on the line (laughs) 
He's trying to fish it out of the net. Bedard's trying to fish it out of the net. The Finnish player's trying to put it in the net. There's three sticks kicking around it. And it didn't end up in the net. Like, the odds of that are astronomical. You could replay that from the point it hits the Finnish player's skate to going over Grand's back. It goes in the net the next 99 times. Like, there's no way that plays out exactly as it did again, one way or another, whether McTavish just doesn't pick it out of the air or one of the three sticks in the crease just tips it into the net and across the goal line. And then you have that crazy sequence less than a minute later, turnover in the neutral zone, two on one, Stankovin goes for the toe drag of a lifetime. Finished defenseman makes a great play on it. So Stankovin, the other finished defender overcommits. Stankovin turns it into a beautiful behind the back pass. Johnson pulls it across too, expecting the goalie to not overslide and slide it five hole on him, but the goalie overslides. So he feeds it right into the middle of his pad for like a insane save. And then just before he overskates, it manages to corral the puck back and rip it into the empty net for the only the second ever overtime goal, uh, gold medal goal for team Canada at the world juniors joining Matt Halischuk of all people in 2008. Like it was mental. This is the craziest damn game I've ever seen live in a long, long time. Like what game truly rivals that in terms of what the hell just happened? Like the 2010 gold medal game. Cause with the U S tying it, like in the last minute in Canada and then Crosby's golden goal. Obviously that's up there. Summit series with all the crazy political implications, but at no part in the summit series, was there a sequence like that? Like just like you're going back to miracle, like in terms of individual sequence can forget the whole storyline. Cause obviously miracle is one of the biggest. Yeah. Yeah. You got the 1980 Olympic team, the summit series, like nothing storyline wise will ever top that stuff. But just dropping that puck down, like that, that's the stuff hockey players dream of. Like when you're doing your daydreaming in the shower of you doing everything perfectly and saving your team's game. I think the only thing that Mason McTavish would have drawn up differently when he was fantasizing about that is the play wasn't happening because of his mistake, right? But other than that, I mean, it turned out well. I'm sure he's not upset about it now. And then, yeah, Kent Johnson's finish and it was just... Yeah, it was just a an insane end to a very, very strange tournament. And I don't know. I was not expecting that level of mayhem in the best way to, to cap off that tournament. The last time I felt like that watching hockey was the, the sequence, the shift with Detroit. Last year, it was the game uh, that was on ESPN with like the 10 blocks and the four broken sticks and they couldn't clear the zone. And it was... That was good quality hockey. So for a weird tournament, one hell of an ending. And uh, even though the Red Wings uh, prospects didn't have the best of storylines, it was uh, still a cool, really, really good display of hockey, at least at the very end. I've got one crazy stat, too, about the gold medal game that Evan, a stats miner, will definitely appreciate that. I I would love to know what the actual odds of this are. Uh, I don't know if you guys heard this stat, but of the last 21 world junior gold medal games 19 of them have featured canada or finland this was the first one that featured canada and finland huh there's probably something in there to do with seeding and you know it usually if canada's out it's because finland has upset them or something like that and they're the ones who benefit sweden always finish first in their group canada usually finishes first so that's probably why that's interesting 
Huh. Speaking of Sweden, uh, Liam Dower Nilsson over in Sweden uh, in the preseason over there at the SHL. It's just preseason, but the guy can't stop scoring. And he really, really looks promising. So you have to hope that uh, his game translates into, well, it does seem to be translating into a much bigger role so far for him, but it's been cool to see him light it up. Should it be enough to overreact and say, yeah, this guy is going to be an absolute slam dunk uh, pick who is drafted in the fifth round? What was he, like 135th, 134th overall? No. Will we anyways? Yeah, why not? It's fun. But talking about the Red Wings' potential center pipeline, you want to see Liam Dower-Nielsen have a, a fantastic season in the SHL. And by God, he looks like he's he's off to a good start. So that's been cool. Yeah, if you like Theodore Niederbach, but without the devastating knee injury, let me introduce you to Liam Dover-Nilsson. Dover-Nilsson. Ah, I always forget that. I got to get used to it. So uh, I'm going to get 90% of European names wrong. So the 10% that I've been corrected on, I I might as well try. (laughs) Shout out to Lars for that one. Uh, Okay. The Nazem Kadri blockade is over. He signs with not the New York Islanders. But the Calgary Flames, <laughs> who are just saying, F it, we are not going down. They signed him to a seven-year, $7 million per year contract. Kadri is going to be 32 to start the season. So he is signed for seven years over there. And whoa, that is one hell of a move for them to lose Goudreau and Kachuk, but to bounce back by adding Kadri, by adding Huberto, by adding Uyghur. Is it a one-for-one replacement? No. Are they the same ages? Does this affect their future outlook in a, an entirely positive way? Probably not. But Brad Living is not looking three, four years down the road. Brad Living needs to keep his job and make sure the Calgary Flames keep their window open at all costs. And it is coming seemingly at all costs, but he's doing it. And I have to say, this is entertaining as hell. I love it. What I what I I had a moment of realization uh, after the Kadri contract was signed is I realized what maturing in hockey media means now. It means looking at a contract and your initial thought being, "Oh my god, that's awful." And then realizing, eh, "It's only a 3-4 year window, so the last 3 years of that they're going to probably be in a rebuild, so who cares?" It's fun. It's okay then. Like, look at the average age of Calgary as a team. Look at the ages, uh, Huberto's age, uh, Lindholm's age, Uyghur's age, Markstrom's age. Calgary's got three to four years. And then they're going to have to tear it down unless they pull off the uh, rebuild on the fly that, you know, every team says they can do, but nobody has successfully done. So, yeah, if you got to overpay for a few extra years when you're going to likely be in a rebuild by that point. Sure, why not? Kadri's a hell of a player right now. Huberto's a hell of a player right now. Weir's a hell of a player right now. And let's call a spade a spade. The Western Conference sucks. Like, how many teams of the contenders in the Western Conference improved this offseason? Edmonton, probably? <laughs> That's it. I'd say St. Louis, Minnesota, Colorado, all Vegas all went backwards. So... You know, Calgary's realizing their window to strike is right now YOLO. And they're all in, and I respect the hell out of it. Now, not only do they have to give Nazem Kadri $7 million a year for the next seven years, but they also had to pay 
again, there are these crazy trade con- conditions on this, but they had to pay a late first round pick, a late first round pick, whether it's theirs, whether it's Florida's, what year, don't ask me about that right now, but it is on average a late first round pick to move the last year of Sean Monahan's contract, which is $6.375 million. So they, we knew Monahan had to go. I will say this is one of the first times where people have kind of said, ugh, it really sucks that Detroit didn't do this. And it's like, yeah, you want your favorite team to do every move that is beneficial and good. And they can't always draft the best player in that round. They can't hit every time. This is one seeing Monahan go to a divisional opponent and looking at the Red Wings roster in the cap space where I said, I would have loved to have had that pick in Detroit. And it is disappointing to me that um, that Eisman didn't pull that off. You never know who's talking to who and what the relationships are and, and how far the conversations went down with with each one but i mean that's not really for fans to worry about right i think it's a fair statement to say this would have been a cool one for detroit to pull off because a late first round pick isn't nothing sean monahan has a no trade clause of some sort right a limited no move yeah well yeah it shouldn't have state income tax yeah that could be it could have been on uh on detroit's list so it's easier said than done i think that's also the other side to his you could be disappointed, but it might. Just yeah, I wish my GM possible. made every good move that all the other GMs do as well. Simply, simply sign good players. Simply trade for good players. That's what Brad Living's doing. Thank you. Thank <laughs> he is you. just simply doing it. Um, that Kadri contract though is like, like you said, Brad. It is screw three years from now. If we're worrying about this three years from now, then you know what's the point? I want to win a cup now. I have to say, I, I I think this is the right move from Calgary. It's not without pain. It's not black and white, but it's better than than taking a leg down. So good for them. Like genuinely good for them. I mean, the salary cap has turned the NHL into a very cyclical league. When you're at the top of your cycle, you can't waste it. You absolutely cannot. And I think for a lot of teams and in a lot of situations, this is going to be an unfortunate reality of something they're going to have to do if they're a piece or two away or they're trying to, you know, go from a second tier team to a top tier team. It's going to be like, yeah, this is going to suck in three to five years, but we don't have the pay- the time to be able to worry about that now. So just do it and we'll deal with that later. Calgary makes the play or makes the yeah, makes the playoffs. Calgary makes the finals once or twice out of that. I don't think they really care at all. They win. They definitely do not care. If you win the cup on the backs of good players on bad contracts, I'm sorry. Based on the fact that there are 32 teams in this league and how hard it is to win the Stanley Cup, it takes exactly one Stanley Cup to make that contract worth it. Like It's a price you pay. Yeah. I mean, look at Los Angeles. Like They had... You know, some of the contracts were signed after, but I mean, you know, still luxury contracts you had to sign. Look how much Doughty, Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Jonathan Quick were all making. And they're, they all turned into bad contracts with the exception of maybe Kopitar. But they got two cups out of it. They smartly rebuilt when they needed to, and they were able to work around those contracts and they made it back to the playoffs already. So you can absolutely navigate this if you do it properly. And, you know, the Blackhawks are a blueprint of how to not come out of it on the other side. The LA Kings are the blueprint for how to properly come out of it on the other side. So um, it, it can be done and it can be done strategically. It's all about timing. 
you have to time this right and you need to strike while the iron's hot and for the flames, no pun intended, that's right now. This is a uh, a big L for Lou Lamorello because weren't all the reports, well, I, I shouldn't say reports, all the the murmurs were that Kadri uh, had signed in Long Island and then all of a sudden we hear now he's in Calgary seven by seven for the same value that the Islanders were apparently reporting and offering. Um, just another, just another bit of a fumble by uh, a former GM of the year. Ryan, I'll need you to take this one. Cause if I start getting into the uh, things that Lou Lamarillo does to run his hockey team, I'll rant for an hour and a half. So Brad, your facial hair is too long to uh, be part of the Islanders organization, but it actually is. All right. So before things get too hairy in this Lou Lamarillo uh, conversation, and that is the fourth time I've had to make that pun thanks to edits. So Brad might actually kill me right now. Let's jump into overtime, which on this episode of the Winged Wheel Podcast is, of course, brought to you by our Patreon supporters. Patreon.com slash Winged Wheel Podcast if you want to get access to all the great features of being in the Dub Dub Club, overtime comments, uh, the very fun Discord, the midweek Patreon exclusive episodes that happen in the offseason where we have our hockey equipment conversations, you know, read drafts um a lot of really fun a little bit more evergreen topics that are a step away from the day-to-day news and and kind of interesting to discuss and often debate about as it is with hockey gear and brad so patreon.com slash winged wheel podcast all the support means the world to us let's start with a comment from Krangis mcbasketball this is an interesting one. It says, would you rather the Wings win three consecutive cups than go at least 25 years without one? They can still play in the playoffs after the run or win one cup every eight years for the next 24 years. Oh, I'd much rather spread them out. I'd much rather spread them out. My initial reaction was a three-peat because if you three-peat, that's legendary. Like that is that is near dynasty status but then 25 years without one like we are going on 14 and i am suffering (laughs) right now for the red wings so i think by a hair i have to go with the one every eight years okay i'll I'll be the devil's advocate for uh three pete then i mean that puts you in illustrious company in terms of of dynasties right um not winning for 25 years after, yeah, that's going to hurt, but you're going to remember those those three back-to-back-to-backs. Um, it would be legendary, that is for sure. Yeah, but then you just turn into Leaf fans reminiscing about the great past. <laughs> oh, that's twice, more than twice as long as the 24 years. <laughs> Connor Murphy uh, says, oh no, Mickey, Ken, and Trevor's flight got canceled and they can't call the game. Luckily, you three are at the game and Bally Sports asks you all to call it. Who is covering for who? Who's the play-by-play, the color commentator, and the guy who gives out the feel-good stories and uh, background? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, Evan, look, buddy, I love you, but I don't I'm not doing do play-by-play. Play. <laughs> oh, my God. Play by There's you too would. many marbles in my mouth at all times to be talking that long and that quickly. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Brett, I don't know if you, like, would you, do you see yourself as more of a play-by-play guy or like the background? Holy, like that kind of person. A thousand percent. I'd be the color guy. 
giving the breaking down what just happened, saying dumb shit and, you know, generally just commenting on whatever the hell's going on. Yeah, that's way more up my alley. The thought of doing play by play next to you with you ribbing me the entire time is both hysterical and mortifying. And I know you would love the hell out of that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Michael Rasmussen's offensive upside says recency bias due to the world. Also, it should be said that uh, those are three of the most consummate professionals in the industry, and it is not <laughs> an easy task to do their jobs. So by no means do we think we could do that. Uh, Michael Rasmussen's offensive upside says recency bias due to the world juniors. Uh, but are we all overlooking Sabrango as a guy to challenge for Detroit this year? Feels like he's a good sleeper pick to watch out for in camp and preseason. Among all the Edvinson Johansson hype, I kind of forgot he's been in the AHL for two years already. I I don't think I, I'm probably as big of a Sabrango fan as there is out there, and I, I don't think he's there yet. He's he's got a mature game, but there's still parts of his skill that need to come along in order to be able to play at the NHL pace. So um it wouldn't be the craziest thing to ever happen, but I give it like a less than five percent shot. There's just so many players in the way. It's not impossible, but there's so many players in the way. Babe Landeskog is a Stanley Cup champion, says sleeper team to do well, not necessarily win a championship in the a- NHL, AHL, the next World Juniors. AHL is a crapshoot, so I won't even try that. World Juniors, next World Juniors, Latvia. Why not? Slovakia. And in the, for the NHL? <sighs> Minnesota. Uh, Minnesota. I don't know. I don't think they're a sleeper. They kind of have to do well, don't they? No, I guess. Seattle. Yeah, Seattle. Oh, my God. Uh, Jeremy Dahl says, uh, why are the Detroit Red Wings the best team to be following in hockey? Overall, the most storied history of any American team. I think the most storied history over the last 30 years, or at least up there in terms of not even just success, but legendary players who have come through storylines with the Russian five. Um, you know, if you think of who is the most, one of the most skilled players of all time, Pavel Dats, who came through there, you think who was the best defenseman since Bobby Orr, it's Nicholas Lidstrom. It's who was the guy putting up points that wasn't Gretzky or Lemieux. That was Steve Eisenman. The Red Wings have no shortage of history and, and winners. And for future, Mo Sider, Lucas Raymond, <laughs> simple as. Um, we have the best jerseys. We're the only team to throw uh, octopus on the ice, and we have Mickey Redmond. I don't need anything other than that. Yeah, having Ken and Mick on the call definitely makes it a lot easier. Uh, okay, uh, we have time for some Reddit questions, which we haven't done in a while. This one from Welcome to the Snip Show says, if the Wings are in playoff contention by midseason or trade deadline, what are the odds of a trade for a rental player like Patrick Kane and how much would it cost? Thanks. Um, Kane would probably be too pricey in my mind. And I think if the Red Wings are in contention, it wouldn't be insane. But I think Steve Eisenman's approach to this has been very measured in saying like he's not going to sell the farm or mortgage futures and, you know, sacrifice future success when the Red Wings aren't necessarily a contender. So, you know, I'm not going to sit here and call it impossible, but I think the price for a world-class trade deadline acquisition, which is what Patrick Kane would probably be, 
that would probably be more than the Red Wings would be willing to give up in my mind. Yeah, I'm a firm believer that you have to be a true contender to start swinging the big hammer at the trade deadline. Um, If they want to give up a sixth round piece to get a depth guy to maybe solidify a hole so they don't get embarrassed in the first round, sure. But yeah, you, you have to be one of the top five, six teams in the league to even think about doing that. All right. <laughs> this is an old one. This is this one's from my good friend OSBP. It says, serious throwback topic. The other, day, the other day, my wife texts me and says, do you sit or stand to wipe? I reply, I'm a stander. I know I'm wrong. I never thought we'd have to have this conversation. I expected her to be a sitter, obviously, and she said, I had no idea people sat and wiped. This should be added to the Wind Wheel Podcast wiki history for off-season content dating back six years. That is ancient days of Wind Wheel Podcast. Wow. That was that is going back a long long ways and that's probably a good spot here to wrap up this episode um thank you all for tuning in and thank you for bearing with us being unexpectedly uh remote i know it's kind of a hassle when we switch back and forth but we'll be in the studio for next episode uh we'd like to thank all of our listeners uh the sponsors of this podcast uh, episode nordvpn be sure to check out um the link that is mentioned it's also in the bio and pinned in a comment and all of our patreon supporters especially our name level sponsors arjun shanker eves bartels on behalf of the sarah grand foundation uh ache for the stay fresh cheese bag nick perks nicholas brodine matthew m rice ben hurd brandon m carl brutana nanaluski Chimmy, Chris P, Citizen High Five, Connor Scovey, Coyote Season Tickets in Tempe with that insane jersey, Craig Kibble, Derek Enstam, DJ Denton, Give Blood Fight Probert, Greech, Hassam Al Qasem, Jay Gollum, Jacob Turner, Kalen Wood, King Tone, Kyle Hashman, Marcus, Matt McKay, Nadelkovich, Goalie Number One, Nicholas Fritz, RA, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hanna, Ryan Hubbard, Scott Martin, The Life Aquatic with Steve Comfer, Zachary Rogers, General Andy Bohan of the Cheesebag Army, Sam Bankson, Antonio Gracias, Babe Landeskog is the Stanley Cup champion, Ben Barron, Bertuzzi and Heronic trade proposal number 69, Brian Vasha, Connor Leighton, Darren Fick, Dave W., Evans adult film star, alter, alter ego, Kevin Lovesaber, uh, Evans neglected parking garage, Evans bingo card, Griffey Boy, James Laporte, Jeremiah Dobo, J.M. Rhapsody, John Evans, Josh Yelton, Justin and the Angry Mob, Kevin McCracken, Quaz, Logan Burgos, Madison Bowie, Matt S., Max Amillion, Melissa Erickson, Papa Woody, Puck Norris, Reed, Revy DeLuca, Ryan Hanna, The Prophecy Lobsinger Hot Tub Episode, Thick Rick, Trevor Pebivar. Thank you all so very much. Patrons, we'll talk to you midweek for the Patreon exclusive episode. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.